What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Obers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Sadie Dupuis founded indie rock group Speedy Ortiz in 2011. In the last decade, her band, as well as her other project, Sad 13, have put out several awesome records. No ska, though, which is kind of a surprise once you hear just how much ska was a significant part of her formative years. Hopefully, though, after doing this interview, she will soon be recording some ska songs, or at the very least, record a collaboration with Ska Tune Network. I didn't think that there would be a ska connection for Speedy Ortiz until I was listening to the Chris DeMakes podcast and Sadie was a guest on there. Oh, yeah? Did she talk about ska? She talked about ska, and not only did she talk about ska, she she was excited to be on a ska podcast. Oh, well. Um, I don't know if Chris DeMakes, a podcast, is a ska podcast. It's a It's a songwriting podcast. Now she's on a ska podcast. We're the ska podcast. We are the Scott Podcast. If you want to be on a Scott Podcast, give us a call and uh, we'll make all your Scott dreams come true. <laughs> Tell us the first CD you ever bought. <laughs> this is a leading question because I may have already told you the answer to this. I'm just, I'm just curious. Just a thought popped in my head. I just wonder what the answer might be. So I I had CDs already because my if it was Hanukkah, I was going to get a CD, you know, Um so I had CDs that were not purchased through my own hard work, but the first one I remember buying with like money I earned from, I don't know, what what is it when you're like sub a babysitter, mother's helper? Um, mm-hmm. I got the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, let's face it. Wow. So I thought that came out earlier than it did. I looked this up today because I was like, yeah, I was like seven years old. I was nine. Uh, that's still, that's that's fine. Earning money at nine is still <laughs> <laughs> illegal <laughs> <laughs> so uh were you already a fan how did how were you aware of them at that point yeah so um 
I think the way that I became aware of them is that they were on like every children's movie soundtrack for some period of time. I know for sure they had some radio hits, but I feel like they were in the Clueless soundtrack and were they in the Snow Day soundtrack? Um, There were just like a whole bunch of Mighty Mighty Boss Tone sinks all at once. And it was all maybe the Digimon movie. It was like all targeted towards me, a a Um, Mm nine-year-old. So that is my best guess. I I have a distinct visual memory of like being in the record store and being like, Dad, look what I found um, on CD. But my best guess is through uh, soundtracks. Do you remember um, what you felt about the record when you peeled it open and gave it your first listen? You know, the timeline is like fuzzy because I'm a nine-year-old at this point, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember how much of the two-tone stuff my parents had already played me. And I know that uh, they had been playing it for me. And it's either that they played me some of that and then I kind of was like, "Here, well, here's my generation. I'm a nine-year-old. Um or it's that I got into Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and then they were like, check out the specials. Um, so I don't know if I was already like primed to understand Ska's like political music, anti-racist music, but I do remember hearing that on um, Let's Face It. And it was distinct from maybe some of the other CDs that I had uh <laughs> been playing in my boombox, such as uh, the Lion King soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> so we got Lion King soundtrack, uh, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. What else do you have in your... Yeah, when did the Spice Girls record come out? Because that was probably in rotation. That was probably in your rotation also. Hanson. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do I go from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones? Or do we... <laughs> you want more? Like... No, let's go back further. You know, okay, okay. Yeah, where 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 did you go from there? They might be giants. Um, where did I go from there? Um, I got really, really into No Doubt. And I think I oh God, I mean, this is why I could never run for political office. I cannot I absolutely cannot give you the timeline of nineteen ninety seven. Um I remember liking the band Aqua and my friend Sydney who's, uh, this was my best friend in second and third and fourth grade. Her mom is Kathy Pello, who until pretty recently was the head of Sergeant House Records. Um, Sydney was like, Aqua's stupid. Check out Corn and No Doubt. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was into No Doubt at that point as well. And I think they, much more so than the Bostones, who I loved but no doubt became like my favorite favorite band um for a pretty big chunk of my my childhood i sympathize with your dilemma here uh, trying to remember early music at nine yeah i can remember my first cds but i was a little older when i was when i was young young it was just tapes and i i just have random memories of tapes that i owned and, and i don't even remember if i bought them or i don't even know how i came into possession of them yeah, I had some tapes and CDs that I hadn't bought for myself. The the Boston, the Let's Face It memory is distinct because it was my, you know, what eighteen dollars? How much did CDs cost then? They were they were getting pricey. They were yeah, CDs, especially when CDs started, so expensive, and they came in those uh, cardboard boxes that were twice the size of the CD. Completely, oh, I don't think I hit the cardboard box era. 
Yeah, that would have been before your time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was still messing around with my Lion King cassette at that time. <laughs> um, so No Doubt became like my favorite band through my friend Sydney, and I think she gave me that CD or tape. Now, No Doubt is your first concert also, right? Um, so first, <laughs> I feel like the 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 uh, distinction between like first concert that I, I begged to go to versus concerts that I was dragged to before that. Um, similar to like, I had this tape, but it wasn't something I bought with my babysitting money. Um, so I begged to go to no doubt and, and we did go, but I had been to some other concerts with my parents before that. What did they drag you to? What did they drag me to? Like not, not uncool things. I remember going to see Cheryl Crow at summer stage. Um, just things that you could take a child to in New York city. So, <laughs> Who's big enough to play summer stage between like 1988 and whatever year I went to go see No Doubt. <laughs> so music music was kind of a constant already for you as a kid. Yeah, both my parents were pretty avid music listeners and they both, uh, so I'm, I just revealed to all of the listeners that I'm born in 1988. Um, in the <laughs> 70s, my, my parents had both worked for different record labels. Um, my mom had worked for a ska label in Manchester called Rocksteady um, and then had come back to New York and been involved with Punk Magazine. And my dad had done A&R for Z Records. So he was kind of with the no wave bands. Um, and they had both gotten out of that world by 1980 or so. Um, but they still were pretty active music listeners and uh, appreciators. So the radio was always on and they were purchasing CDs and tapes and stuff that I could pilfer. Not the Mighty Mighty Boston CD, though. That was all me. <laughs> interesting. Uh, I always find it interesting people that had cool parents because um, I had not cool parents. Right. Um, I learned about, let's see, my mom was really into John Denver. So I'm not, okay. not knocking John Denver. One of the classic, uh, Johns. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> otherwise pure Christian music. Um, my dad had like four CDs. Um, like I think it was Pink Floyd. It's not, not bad stuff, but he just didn't have very much. I think it was like Alan Parsons project, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and uh, Pink Floyd, I think, were the only things. And then as he aged, I think even by his 40s, like not even that old, just smooth jazz from from then until the present. That's it. So. Everybody likes what they like. Isn't yeah. that what this podcast is all about? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just saying. It's <laughs> the opposite. It's interesting when uh, you have parents that have like cool music. So was that a thing that you felt was different than your friends? Did Did they have parents with? cool musical taste or i'm just telling you my my best friend's mom ran the record label sergeant house so i guess there were some other kids <laughs> with cool parents in my vicinity <laughs> um i think something that was so so my parents both before they had met each other had become like insurance agents and uh separate forgive me mom if you listen to this like fairly boring corners of that industry um so i feel like but they continued to have friends who played music. So I think it was 
and for my mom, you know, my dad's passed away, but for my mom continues to be important to be keeping up with new things. And, um, yeah, they just love, they, despite it no longer being a part of their work lives, um, once they hit their thirties, they both really loved music and wanted to be seeing new things and, and learning about new things. So that certainly, um, taught me how to, how to appreciate music and local music scenes. Uh, but I, my, you know, for, for you perhaps rebelling against, um, the roster of like Christian cassettes might be, I'm going to get into to ska. For me, it was like, I love Z100 and, um, Britney Spears. And so, so my like musical rebellion was like, I love mainstream pop. Uh, and my parents were cool. So they, they supported that too. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> This, uh, what do you know about your, the, the label your mom worked at Rocksteady? I don't think they did a ton of releases. I actually texted her today. I was like, do you have any fun stories from that time? She's like, I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I know that, uh, they did some reggae and ska records and she also went on tour as like a TM with a couple bands throughout the UK. Like I know she toured with the slits. Um, Prince Hammer. Um, so I don't know a ton, and I don't think she lived there for very long, but she did work for, yeah, for that label. Yeah, I just did a quick search on Discogs, and it looks like they had about 10 releases on the label between between 79 and 80, 86. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's probably the 79 portion is yeah. my mom's time. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at it too. I don't know any of these artists. This is a fascinating. I'll try to, yeah. to I'll, I'll text you some follow-ups if I can dig <laughs> nice. a little more info up. <laughs> Was there any music that you brought into the house as a kid that your parents were super not down with? Mm. No, I feel like they were really supportive of, of whatever I was into. Damn, that's nice. Yeah. There's some things now that I'll play for my mom and she hears like the first 10 seconds of it and is like, absolutely not. And then I'm like, just give it a chance and she'll, so it can come around. Um, Do you remember what any of those have been? Like recently? Yeah. She did not like the first 90 seconds of the Eve Tumor album from earlier this year. Huh. And then she loved the rest of it. So I was like, just, you got to trust me. I'm not going to put it on in the car if I don't think you'll love it. Uh, yeah. She really likes the Yeji album. I feel like that's one of the more positive mom responses I've gotten in a while. Um, she's like singing along to it by the second play. I was psyched about that. Uh, yeah, my mom's cool. And she writes down, she's constantly like, this is so bad that she does this because she's maybe a, a pretty distracted driver. Um, but she listens to the radio all the time when she's driving and she'll write down the bands that she hears that she likes and then she'll text me about it. And once in a while I get to be like, I know that band, they're my friends. Uh, and then I get to feel very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I even, I've never, I've never had very many moments where I could connect with music with my parents. I mean, my mom and I like, like both like Cat Stevens. That's like one mm, artist where look. we can kind of talk about. Um, that's a great one. Yeah. But uh, not, not many others. And then, yeah, my dad's just not not interested in even the the, the stuff he used to like. It's just Boney James and Kenny G. Um, yeah, 
He one time he 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 actually went to see Boney James live. Oh. And he was like telling me about it and he was like talking about how excited he got when he was in the audience and he was like so close to him. I was like, really? <laughs> like <laughs> I know you like listen to it because it like relaxes you. I didn't know you were like legit into like it. Like a diehard. Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch the um the Kenny G documentary? Oh one? yeah, that was fascinating. I loved it. Yeah. Now I feel like I am a I'm not, if if I'm not a Kenny G fan, I'm a, a full on Kenny G appreciator. I love I love those kind of documentaries where it's not I don't really care about the music, but it's like and it like you learn about an artist and you it's mm-hmm. interesting stories. Like I felt that way about that movie. Um, I felt that way about there was like a six part Grateful Dead series because I cannot stand them musically, but but it's a fascinating history and fan culture and. Yeah, I, I would like to watch that too, actually. And their approach to music is something that's you can definitely appreciate because they they take what they do seriously and they are very serious about keeping control of it and mm. honoring the sort of the um, honoring the integrity of their vision and the creativity. And so, the, so you watch some of the decisions they've made at certain points of their career when they probably had opportunity to go into a, a bigger more wide direction, but they kept it, they kept it insular. And it like, I mean, in their case, it really worked out because. So that they could keep control. Over yeah. It. And it can, it could all be what they wanted it to be. And I, I like ended up like walking around being like, ah, I appreciate them. And I think they're, they seem like cool people, but I don't want to listen to them at all. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of the, um, uh, the University of Texas Press Why Music Matters series books. Mm-hmm. And I find that if it's an artist that I don't know much about or even actively don't care for, I'm like even I'm more interested in the story because my nitpicky fandom isn't getting in the way of yeah. the storytelling. So I feel like I gravitate I'm I'm reading a one of their books right now about a band I do love, which is the Steely Dan um, Quantum Criminals book. But I feel like when I get a book uh, that's a music biography or see a uh, um, music documentary, if it's something I don't care about at all, I can get a lot more on board more quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been a book that you read about an artist that you're indifferent to or whatever that you recently that you that comes to mind? Um, when is this going to air? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Month, two months. Hmm. Let's come back to this because I right. have to think about what I have to say. I don't like. So okay, I'm fine. I can. I I, I don't know why I'm being cagey and weird. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed Allison McCabe's book about Sinead O'Connor, but I have like no feelings. I like have not spent much time at all with Sinead O'Connor's music. I just know the the huge you know hit Prince cover. And mm. the news stories about Sinead O'Connor over the years. And Allison's writing about Sinead's music is so good. Um, and now I'm supposed to do an in, in convo about the book um, next month in Philly. So I feel like I have to do some homework to catch up. And everybody I've been telling about this is like, oh, you're going to love like every Sinead O'Connor album. Uh, and I'm just going in totally cold. I don't know anything about it other than like one huge song that is not by her. Interesting. Yeah. When I, uh, my, my wife and I, when we get together, uh, like in our early twenties, that was Sinead O'Connor was an artist that she was really into. Mm. So I, I kind of went in 
like very little limited experience and she started playing me all this Sinead O'Connor and like, yeah, it, it's really good. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, she has like a, at least a heavy reggae background, right? Isn't that, at least in the book, she talks a lot about. Yeah. It. There's, there's that elements there. And, you know, I'll say my, my personal favorite song of hers is uh, black boys on mopeds. Oh, well, that, I know a lot about the story behind it. Yeah, I just yeah. have not heard the song. <laughs> <laughs> so this is great. This is, you know, books are wonderful. Yeah. Now I'm going to dig into a discography that I have not spent any time with over the past uh, 34 years. <laughs> All right. Your AOL, AOL I am screen name used to be. I had I had two that are relevant to your interests. Oh, two. Okay, let's yeah. hear them. When I when it was an AOL account, it was Scostar eighty eight, and um, as we have established <laughs> time and again on this podcast, I am born in the year nineteen eighty eight. And then when um, my mom said we're not paying for this AOL anymore, uh, I got AIM, and um, I couldn't move my screen name over. So I got, I was like, I'm going to have a great ska pun. I'm going to, so I tried a whole bunch of things. Every ska, this is the year like 2002 by this point. Every ska pun you could think of for AIM is yeah, taken. Yeah, has been done. Um, so I remember, so I picked uh, Skaloha. That was taken, obviously. So 78, which is, uh, you already know I'm born in 88, but my birthday is July 8th. So really creative <laughs> <laughs> numbering system in these ska pun screen name. The first one's not a pun, I, I suppose. Um, but yeah, those are my first two. First two and I guess only screen names. How much time did you spend on AIM? Constant. And I was on it until the day the service ended. Oh yeah, I logged in the day that it ended. Just to I did not ever log out. It. I wow. kept it. The weird um, thing was I had, I had a maxed out friend list and I scrolled through my friend list. Nobody was online anymore. But yeah. I knew who every single weird screen name was. Of course, yeah. I still remember. I know friends' birthdays still, who I was friends with as a 12-year-old because of their screen names. <laughs> oh, SPF12388 has logged on. <laughs> oh, shit. It's January 23rd. Happy birthday, Sam. <laughs> what, what was your screen name, Adam? Uh, XAdamDX. All right. I'm straight edge and that's my name. Oh, that's so good. It's nice to have a simple one. I, as I got older, I was like, I wish I had a clean screen name, but I, I'm a, a, I'm a, a minor hoarder in my personal life. And that um, extends to my digital archives. <laughs> so I still have like a, as you have seen, I have an email address I made as a teenager. <laughs> Did you ever try to use, uh, or did you ever use AIM to uh, reach out to bands that you liked? Um, no, I did that on I message boards and message then, boards. then MySpace and chat rooms for sure, but not like um, I didn't like I am. Maybe I'm lying to you. I think I did. I am. There was one band that I was really into that was called I Voted for Kodos, and yeah. I feel like I was on a message board for them, and I feel like I did. Maybe I am with. Rick from I voted for Kodos uh, nice. one time, but yeah. I couldn't have gone on much longer than I love the song Pastoroni or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to just, you know, in people's layouts for their 
record, they would put like maybe an AOL email address or something. And so I would just add that. And so I remember the drummer for Jimmy World like logged on once. Oh, you're too smart. I never even thought to, <laughs> I never, I need to go back in time now. Yeah. The conversation was just like, hey, you're you're in Jimmy Eat World. And he was like, yep, I'm the drummer. And then <laughs> the door closed. That was it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I did email. Um, I was obsessed with Weezer. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was on a bunch of Weezer message boards. And I did send a fan email to Patrick Wilson when I was like 10 or 11. And I was like, I like the special goodness. And he was like, thanks. Rock on, Pat. <laughs> and I think I printed it out. And the year is like, you know, two, maybe it's 2001 by this point. So the printing takes one hour yeah. to print an email for me. Because <laughs> I probably printed it full color so you could see uh, the blue bold underlined email address. Yes. You can't just have it just be in draft mode at that point. You have to have everything. Sure can't. Sure can't. Is draft mode even a thing? And. <laughs> AOL at that time yeah so I so Patrick Wilson if you're listening to this see if check your archives for an email from scottstar88 at aol.com it was me yeah Patrick Wilson is actually an avid listener to this podcast is that true I'm just making it up but it could be true though I wouldn't be surprised would you (laughs) I mean yeah stranger things have happened sure well why wouldn't you I feel like when I was uh, making my slow transition from uh, Ska Star '88 to like indie rock guy '88, um, I miss I misunderstood <laughs> a lot of like indie rock or not. I think Weezer's not an indie rock band, major label rock bands as like ska bands. <laughs> like I remember hearing "Say It Ain't So" and being like, "Oh, cool, this is a ska song." <laughs> I mean, almost it totally could have been. Yeah. Also, why wasn't that the lead-off single from that record? What it? What is? Oh, Buddy Holly. It's a sweater song. Oh yeah. Oh, it was a sweater. Yeah. Such a weird, like, just a weird song. But isn't that like that song's like TikTok huge now? They they really had the vision. I mean, I yeah, they're probably smarter than I am. I don't know. I just remember like hearing that and being like, no, I'm not into this. And then hearing "Say It Ain't So" years later and being like, wait, this is sick. Yeah, "Say It Ain't So" was was my my personal hit. I had a delay with Weezer. I didn't like it at first. And then years later, I liked Pinkerton. And then, mm-hmm. I, then I listened to the first record and I liked it. And then that was it. Nothing after that? Could not, could not like anything else by them besides those two records. But I went pretty deep on those two records, like hard. Did you get into all the like B-sides of uh, Songs from the Black Hole? All the B-sides from the first two records era. And they were all yeah. good. Yeah. I, I, um, I was very excited to do a, a Weezer podcast a few years oh, yeah. ago. And they're like, what album do you want to talk about? And I was like, the unreleased album, Songs from the Black Hole. Um, <laughs> and that was what we talked about. <laughs> uh, so I had a lot of friends as a 12-year-old, as you can gather. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best Weezer B-side or un- or unreleased, whatever, non-album track? I like Blast Off, which is the intro to Songs from the Black Hole. They have like Carl, their message board admin, as like a vocoder robot. Uh, it just like establishes the, the space rock opera that 
is the journey that they're about to take you on. So like <laughs> I said, I had a lot of friends as a 12 year old <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> <laughs> so early, tw- early two thousands, how deep into Scott are you? I mean, you, you made your uh, screen name Scott pun twice. Yeah. Yeah. How deep into Scott am I? Like, I think I thought I was deeply into ska, but all all the things that I liked in hindsight were, like, pretty hugely popular bands. So, like, No Doubt was my favorite band, but that was true for, um, you know, like, 90% of (laughs) teenage girls. Uh, I loved Real Big Fish. I loved Save Ferris. Uh, I played in, like, little ska bands in at school and at summer camp but and so like I liked my friends bands but these aren't things I have record of um so I liked all the 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 third wave and like ska punk stuff and then I kind of was really really deeply into the two-tone stuff that my parents had showed me um and I again this is like another thing where I feel like movie soundtracks were just really so I, I would buy a lot of CD movie soundtracks and I remember like the gross point blank soundtrack had like the English beat on it. Uh, so I feel like I it was like being further established me like, Oh, these two tone bands that my parents have showed me are, are relevant still because they're in these movies that I uh, have bought the CD of and put into a CD binder. Bands that you'd played in when you were young camp or whatever. Did you have any names for these bands? Yes, the first one was called Walker Exists, <laughs> and Walker <laughs> was the name of the drummer, and he felt uh, like underseen. <laughs> he didn't feel seen <laughs> behind me and <laughs> the other person <laughs> in the band, uh, who were just two guitars. There was no bass in the band. <laughs> Wait, two guitars just playing upstrokes? <laughs> God, probably. <laughs> Amazing. I did find a video of it recently, and it's really a mess. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's wearing the like triple row studded belt, and like has the two tone guitar strap. Yeah, as you do. By everybody, I mean the two the two people playing upstrokes on guitars. The only thing that would have been better is if one of you had had the checkerboard belt and then the studded strap, and then the other one had the opposite. I feel like um, there was a checkerboard trucker hat in the mix. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, ha- I for sure had the checkerboard uh, sweatband, wristbands. Mm. And then were you playing originals or? or uh... No, we were playing originals. Yeah. I, I immediately dove in. I learned, so I started guitar when I was 12 and I did learn. I remember having the return of Saturn like tab book. Mm-hmm. Um so I like have no context for playing guitar, but I'm trying to play the like uh, ex-girlfriend by no doubt from the the Go soundtrack. Um, I'm trying to play like that guitar solo, um, and then maybe the next summer I was like, I'm ready to play in bands. I have songs. Do you remember any song titles? Um, the well, I remember a song I wrote before I I played guitar, which was for sure a ska song, and I will not. I will not like sing it to you because I'm I'm not ready to die of shame at 9.32 p.m. on a Monday. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a song called Collector's Item that I remember writing. I must, this is probably, I must, maybe I was nine because I was fully in my, uh, I have just discovered Scott phase. Um, So I I remember like this full song (laughs) that I guess I probably wrote on piano. 
um, which I played a little bit. Uh, by the time of playing with my my friends Walker and Kyle, I had one called Smile Wicked. I think that's the one I have the video of us playing. Uh, pretty, <laughs> it's really good. I was very good. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing shameful about it. Ready to post it. <laughs> nice. No, you can, can you read? You can read sarcasm over a podcast, oh, right? Oh, you're being sarcastic. You, right. I just, I have a flat affect. I don't always know <laughs> jokes are landing. Um, and then some of my best friends at the camp also had a band called Idiot Box, um, and I, which I think was named for the like an Incubus song or something. <laughs> but they were a ska band, and. Um, one of them is still still plays music, and that's Travis Bacon, who uh, is that kind of bacon. And um, yeah, he plays like metal now. <laughs> He's cool. So Idiot Box was like the popular uh, camp band. They were the cool band. I don't know if they were cool, but they were the popular. <laughs> <laughs> they were well-loved. <laughs> well-loved. So the back to the No Doubt concert, your first concert that you begged to go to. Yes. Uh, do you remember anything about the concert? Uh, yes, we got to... My mom knew someone who worked at the Roseland Ballroom. So we got to be on the balcony area, which was like a VIP area. So great sight lines. Um, I feel like all venues with balconies kind of have a similar layout. So if you're, let's say you're farthest towards the balcony stage, right? You guys tell me, like, who do you have eyes on? What can you see really well? I mean, you get like, yeah, you kind of get like a, a kind of a wide shot of the of the stage, maybe at a weird angle. Yeah, you you maybe have like a better side view of the drummer than you would mm. if you were out in the audience, especially because mm -hmm. you're above. Um, what do you know about the what? What did the drummer from No Doubt like to do? Do you guys know? Oh, is he naked? He got naked. <laughs> <laughs> he was drumming in a thong I think the whole time but he did get naked at some point and I was like I have never I've never seen that uh, part of the body before um, here I am at my first rock show with my fucking mom <laughs> were, were you super embarrassed or I think my mom was like a little embarrassed but it was it worked out okay <laughs> yeah my, I should say also like my mom is a um she she's a she paints portraits. Mm -hmm. So there were like nude paintings that she had done. So it wasn't like right. I never like I just in person I had never seen someone like strip. I was like Yeah, well and it's different in the context of a show. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there was just like way too much male nudity in that time period of bands playing. It was a thing. It, it's less of a thing now. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> So that's that's one very distinct memory of the show. <laughs> and I think we brought two. So I had two friends who were identical twins and they came to the show. So I, I have a feeling my mom maybe had to like call their mom and be like, so <laughs> we had a great time at the show. But <laughs> but <laughs> there was some full frontal. But but Adrian Young <laughs> yeah. was seen full flagrante. <laughs> so you did a you did a segment on NPR where you talked about the influence that Pauline Black had on you in terms of what 
you know, that music can be a vehicle for change. I think it was yeah. how you put it. Do you want to speak on that a little bit? Yep. So um, the the question that the producers of that segment had come to me with was like, what was some formative music for you that taught you that, that music could enact wider change? And there were only so many things I could immediately think to because a lot of the stuff that I liked, especially as I got a little older than the time period we're describing, um, a lot of the music I, I liked was had misogyny cooked into it. Um, mm. A lot of the stuff I was liking from the radio had like really bizarrely regressive sexual <laughs> politics and gender politics. Um, I feel like the the consistent like source of of good <laughs> instructional good was the two tone stuff that predated everything I was listening to uh, by like you know twenty thirty years. Um, so I chose the selector to talk about for that segment um, in part because of just knowing Pauline Black's story and how. Um, she had been pretty entrenched in like socialist politics prior to joining a band. She want she wanted to be like a folk musician um, mm -hmm. yeah. and use, you know, her lyrics as a vehicle for change. And then she joined this scene that was explicitly at its outset, anti-racist, anti-sexist that talked about um, class that talked about uh, the, riots and the impossible situation of young people looking for work and looking for stability and being absolutely abandoned by their governments. Um, so I think, you know, you only understand so much of lyrics when you're a little kid. And a lot of the stuff, like I was joking with, I told my friend I was coming on this podcast, he's like, you're going to talk about Sublime? I was like, I mean, I could, but I find some of the, the Sublime songs hard to listen to now. Uh, mm. This the ska bands from the the second wave and the two tone stuff. I don't feel that with. I'm like, you could write these songs today, and we need these songs to be written today. Um, so that was sort of why I, I talked about Pauline Black. I also just find her like a fascinating singer and musician and artist. Um, that she's explored so many other things outside of that she's like an amazing actor uh, and has written a really cool book. Um, I think she's just like a, an amazing star. And also, you know, there wouldn't be no doubt without, I think I remember reading that Gwen Stefani had sung uh, the, the selector for like a talent contest prior to joining her brother's band. Mm -hmm. um, so that influence is so felt across the third wave stuff that I was getting into. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of why I, I chose to talk about her for the that um, Turning the Tables segment. I assume you read her my memoir that you yeah. referenced? Yeah. Yes. Which I, yeah, this is where I like the artist. So uh, no, it was it's good. I feel like memoir, I'm not as judgy when, as um, biographies when it's an artist I like. I read like, I think all of the two-tone memoirs because they all wrote memoirs. I, I haven't read Ranking Rogers yet because that came out later. Oh, yeah. I have not read that one either. So setting aside his, since I haven't read it, I, I like Pauline's the best um, because, well, not just, I mean, in part because of I, uh, my feelings towards her and the music that she made and everything. But I also felt like 
she was just very, um, very personal, very honest. And what she had to say wasn't always like complimentary mm, to the people yeah. around her. You know, she was just pretty blunt about her feelings about some of her colleagues, I guess you could say. Sure. And I, I, I found that interesting. And, and just her story too, like a lot of the book, if I remember, was about her family, her family being adopted, mm-hmm. getting to meet her real mom, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I'd read a couple um, like poetry books around similar themes uh, around the time of reading Pauline's book. And it was interesting to see um, how that had just shaped her whole identity as a music listener and later as a writer and performer and um just how she'd made all of the choices that seemed like these you know cooked in out of the gate aesthetic uh identities but there was so much thought behind every aspect of her performance so i i i did really enjoy that um memoir which i'm forgetting the name of now um the book is called Oh, Black by Design. Yes. Because she had chosen uh, her her name because her mom wouldn't allow her to call herself Black, Um, her adoptive mom, which is, yeah. Yeah, because she had a a, a white family. White parents. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a a weird source of tension because they did love her and give her, Mm -hmm. like, support and all this. But, yeah, the... Her her sense of identity, racial identity, was always a weird point of contention for her. Yeah, and it was like through entering this, through joining bands and and through joining student groups. I think prior to that, um, she'd really had a recontextualization of self, which is yeah, it's a good book, recommended. Yes, your parents gave you like a, a like a two tone comp. Is that what you remember about mm-hmm. the introduction to this music? Yep, I had the I had. That uh, double disc two tone comp, which I still have, um, and a couple other CDs. Is that this arc two tone? That one? It's called like a checkered past, I think. Oh, okay. A checkered pass. It's like a two disc CD compilation with like body snatchers and. Uh, yeah. Any other songs that you really liked a lot? Um, I remember being pretty freaked out by the boiler. Uh, and like stunned by that song. Um, and that's still a song I think about a lot. Um, what else? I mean, <laughs> who did I see recently? I saw a uh, super chunk play earlier this year and they walked on to ghost town and I was like, this is the best uh, song any band has ever chosen to walk onto. So I, I remember <laughs> being pretty obsessed with that. Um, with that song, uh, which I heard first from this compilation. Yeah, I think I've seen you tweet about that song before being... Um, it's just like the best song of all time. <laughs> I think the the thing that you said it was I thought was interesting is that it's a rare example of like a hit song being a like a good, legit, like critically revered song. Mm, that is true. If I tweeted that, I was not lying. <laughs> Um, I think I, you know what I think it was is that I, I, I hear that song and I think like, oh, this is like every song that I like, which is like track seven, not a single, definitely did not chart. Maybe it's like not even a fan favorite. It just is so weird. And it's about something, uh, important 
and it's creepy. Um, and so it's shocking to me that it was like a number, it's like a number one single, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like their, it was like their biggest charting song. Yeah. It just, um, I have low hopes for everybody else's taste. I feel like the the song that captivates me the most is so rarely even like the third single of a record campaign. So to know that that's their biggest hit is like, oh, everybody got it right this time. That's heartening. Yeah, I feel like the entire two-tone period is a very unusual time period where pop music, at least in England, was like, like solid like musically amazing like politically really good yeah it's just such a strange little like like moment i think that rarely exists in in pop culture and i feel like it paved the way for a lot of other british explicitly british pop music that is really good like i think if not for the massive success of two-tone and ska i don't feel like we get joan armatrading as like a big hit i don't feel like we get a lot of the new wave bands as a as a big hit i feel like they're all incorporating ska into what they're working on and um i don't know i feel like a lot of british rock on the poppy side of things um does not exist without two-tone yeah i actually do think that the uh the influence of two-tone on brit pop is actually something that's not really talked about much, but it is an actual real factor. I feel like Squeeze, for sure, is influenced by... I mean, Britpop will go to the 90s, like Blur is just straight up covering yeah. uh, the specials like over various albums, um, which is probably why I like them so much. Yeah, I didn't even know this until like somewhat recently, but um, Terry Hall was kind of a popular Britpop artist in the 90s as a solo artist. Um, I actually don't know if he collaborated with Blur, but um, not with Blur, but I think with Damon Albarn. He did work with Lightning Seeds. That was the group I was thinking of, Lightning Seeds. Cool. So yeah, he was kind of in that world, and I, it's just an interesting little the legacy of Two Tone. I think it kind of stretches beyond ska, and I think that's especially in the UK. Yeah, I mean bands like Massive Attack. I think have mentioned. Uh, two-tone as an influence i always felt like a lot of the discord bands that i liked were coming from that Mm -hmm. perspective Mm -hmm. probably yeah you said once that you have a song that you started to write but never finished that sounded like the english beat whoa oh god i completely forgot about this i did not finish it and it's like one of my few unfinished songs and I think I was talking with Ray Ags from shopping about <laughs> working on it together. Uh, good reminder, the next Sad 13 album, maybe I'll make it happen. There's very few things that I start recording and don't finish. And I just could not. I've been working on this one since like 2016 and cannot solve it. When you say it sounded like English beat, like what, what does that mean to you? The like bass, the bass part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I think I'm like, oh, this song is supposed to sound like this. And my bandmates or whoever's engineering look at me like I'm an insane person <laughs> because I just mean like, yeah, th- these ba- this bass interval is like. <laughs> and then two measures later, it sounds like this other band. Uh, but I think I, that what I was trying to go for was like this particular kind of driving bass drums 
thing that I think of as English beat. Sure, yeah. And I I didn't figure it out yet, so maybe I got to do the English Sad 13 and then I can finish the song. Got to do it. <laughs> is it one that you think is actually going to get finished? I completely forgot about it till you said this and I spent 10 seconds in my memory palace. Is that what you call it? Memory, <laughs> yeah. memory hall? Memory palace? Being like, what song? Uh, so maybe I will. I, I do... Eventually, I always tend to finish things, but this is like seven years now. Mm. Are you usually pretty organized with your songwriting and your creativity, or is it all over the place? I'm pretty organized, but I, and I'm, in fact, I'm so organized that I organize all my uh, DAW sessions by year. And generally, I finish things pretty quickly. So the fact that I didn't finish this one from 2016 uh, means I have forgotten about it because that's seven folders back (laughs) (laughs) how many years have you been demoing stuff for um i started to make demos when i was 13 wow so 11 oh my god what (laughs) how old do i think i am 21 years i've been demoing (laughs) 10 p.m west philly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, speaking of West Philly, living in Philly, have you heard cat? Have you, you going to bring bite? up Catbite? Of course, got to. Yes, love Catbite. That's they're like our shining hope for Scott. Yeah, they really are. Um, yeah, Catbite's a great band. Have you have you seen them live or and or have you hung out with them? I've met Tim, mm-hmm. but that's it. But I feel like I feel like um, here's the problem. Sure, I was not. I moved to Philly in 2016. Until the pandemic, I'd never been home. I feel like I'd say this sentence exactly the same every time, mea culpa. But I'd never been home for more than two weeks at a time. So mm-hmm. I, and if I was home for you know maybe two months total per year, you didn't want. To I was go not to a using show. that time to go to shows. Yeah. I was like, if I'm on tour and I already played a show, I'm more likely to go to a later show that my friends are playing, or an earlier show that they're playing, or my friend's record store show. You know, yeah. at home I was just like, I will be watching all of Veronica Mars again. Um, <laughs> with this downtime. So I I had not seen them and I only really got into them like right as the pandemic was about to start. Mm. Uh, So we're, I would say we're internet acquaintances. Gotcha. What what was the context of meeting Tim? Some like XPN show, but I can't remember what Um, free, some free at noon show. I shouldn't, I should know. (laughs) I should have come prepared with my, my anecdote. (laughs) Who came up to who though? Um, he was hanging out with a friend of mine who introduced us. So it's like not an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> Did your friend go like, Hey, this is Tim. He's in cat bite. Oh, hi. Nice. To yeah. You. And I was like, Oh, I like your band. It was like that, which maybe is wrong. Like, you know, people, you just don't know how you, I think that's true, but I could also be completely lying to you. <laughs> and, uh, the listeners will never know. Yeah. You're gonna have to go in my memory palace. <laughs> So you, you you had become aware of them though before the pandemic as a, just like a, another Philly band in the scene. Yeah, exactly. Have you been kind of um, keeping your eyes open on the ska scene to see in general like what's coming up in the, in the younger scene? Um, younger. Well, we're... younger as in uh, younger <laughs> than younger than, than me. Than, uh, the, you know, the nineties, two thousand stuff. Newer bands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> I was like, I don't know any <laughs> teenagers. Um, yeah, I know Jer, which I think we talked yeah. about when we did the the um, 
book event together a few months ago. Um, and I love all the Scottoon Network videos. And I just, why, why am I not in one? Yes. I don't care. I'm not the person to ask that question. Well, let's put that out there right now because we talked about this um, in a Sacramento bookstore to an audience yep. of, that was just there. But now we're on a podcast uh, speaking to the a podcast that we could say that, you know, probably the person we're talking about has yes, listened to. Very possible so. they're listening. And Easy way to reach my target. <laughs> um, Sadie Jer collaboration. Just, yeah, yeah. Just let's do it. Breathing that into existence. What am I? Yeah, just manifest. <laughs> um, what else? This is not really. I, well, what's debated? <laughs> uh, I I like hundred gags yeah, a lot, yeah. and I have enjoyed seeing them get. Uh, even ska ear on the most recent record. Yeah, it was interesting when uh, their previous album came out. There was just like the one song. Yeah, and I, I, I just had, I had just gotten that album because I had was interested in that band. I wasn't aware that there was a ska track on that album, and I heard it and I was like, "What's going on?" Yeah, this is the weirdest, weirdest instance of ska just kind of landing on something that I was not expecting. I feel like a lot of the hyper pop stuff is incorporating moments of ska now. Like I feel like some of the underscores stuff has some ska mm -hmm. interludes. So yeah, I like I like that hyper pop is uh being its hyper self and including this genre. I don't know if it's true of all hyper pop, but hundred gecks seem to be seem to be really interested in like pulling from the past, especially stuff that's like maybe not like critically like revered stuff from the past. Like the new record is just like full of all this like nineties alternative stuff. That's just remixed and, and just made to be weird and, and new. Yes. I feel like the biggest song on it just sounds like a red hot chili pepper. Song or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine by me. Yeah, yeah. Great by me. Sure. You, so you've been writing songs for a long time. Um, yes. Before Speedy Ortiz, you had uh, written a song and uploaded it to MySpace, and it charted for like a day. Yep. What would so tell me the story of this? Um, I I wish I knew more details, and I feel like the more I talk about this, the more likely it is that some person who worked at MySpace will have an answer for me. But <laughs> um, so I. I gave you my whole little spiel that I wrote songs when I was little and then I started playing guitar and I started learning to record the songs when I was uh, 13. And first that just was like the, what was it like Windows Media Player had like a recording function, I want to say, and the, the computer mic, so like the desktop computer mic. So it sounds, that was like the first couple songs I made were that style. Um, but later I had one of those little Tascam for four tracks um they're really like you know uh <laughs> not like a nice one um so i started to learn to record songs on that and i would play um you know a couple layers of guitar and i had a, i got a bass so i started to add bass and i might just like tap on the microphone <laughs> with my finger to make drums um and when i was a little bit older uh after i'd been doing this for a few years um I got the like power book. Um, so I got GarageBand and I started to, to work in there instead. But, and then I, I 
you know, still work in logic. So I'm basically still using the same <laughs> recording program as I was in 2004. But the camp that I went to where I played in bands for the first time had a recording studio. Um, it was like a Montessori style arts camp. So they had all these different disciplines and you could be doing glass blowing or you could be doing metal smithing or you could be in plays or you could be in the like rock band thing. So I, I was in the bands and um, recorded at the camp and I made like an EP or something. Um, mm. I don't remember what it was called, but I really remember the bad album art that my friend made in like MS paint um, <laughs> using a, like a black and white photo on like a 2003 digital camera. Um, so anyway, I had, I had put my songs on MySpace once I had MySpace and for one day, one song was the number two song in MySpace. And I will never know why. The first song was like either James Blunt or Dashboard Confessional. I think I want to say James Blunt one, me number two, Dashboard Confessional number three, and then James Blunt number four. Um, and the chart only listed four things. So that was it. Uh, yeah. And it was for one day. I went away. Never knew why that happened. Um, I think this was around the time when, like, you could pick a song. This is they had introduced the uh, you can pick a song to play on your page when people visit mm -hmm. it. So I'm like, did Tila Tequila find my song? What what notable person made my song their song for one day that this happened? But I don't know. I mean, MySpace was such a weird musical ecosystem to begin with. Yes, like the fact that bands were like the band of the of the week or whatever band of the month on the front page of MySpace, And they were like weird bands too. That didn't happen for me. It was just that it charted. And I don't know. No. Yeah. But I'm just saying overall, like it was such a weird place for music, but yeah, that's also insane. It was cool. That, that is where I did wind up messaging with bands and bands would reply. I remember like the band now has split into two things. And I, I Google something really quick. I feel stupid. That I don't remember this. There's a band called, um, <laughs> <laughs> Simon Dawes. Uh, and I really liked Phantom Planet. This is another band I was like very into in 2005. And they had a blog and they would post weird little videos on their blog. And they had one that was called like kitten.mp4 or whatever. Um, and it was just like a little kitten crawling around a recording studio. And there was a nice song in the background. And I'm messaging Phantom Planet, like, who does the song? And it's by Simon Dawes. So I'm then messaging. Simon Dawes on MySpace, like, can I download the song? Can you send me a file <laughs> of the song? And they did. And uh, Simon Dawes is famous for Blake Mills being, um, yeah, Blake Blake Mills. And then the rest of the band split up and the, the rest of the band became Dawes. Uh, but yeah, they sent me their song on MySpace in like 2005. That was very nice of them. Did, uh, did charting on MySpace for a day have any kind of noticeable impact on you as a musician? Did you get follows? Yeah, I got a really good screenshot that I can continue to <laughs> <laughs> show around in 2023. Um, I don't think it should, did. Should have printed that out to go with the email. But I feel like the followers thing on MySpace didn't matter the same way that people talk about it on yeah. social media today. I have no memory of what my fault. It's your friend count. Um, it was kind of just, yeah. I don't. I don't think it was as status linked as it is now. MySpace was interesting too because that's the only time 
in uh, all of social media where I had like random conversations with just random people. Yeah. It was just like, hey, how you doing? I'm uh, Rick. You want to have a virtual cup of coffee? <laughs> and it wasn't like we had some shared interest. It was just like, and I'd be like, okay. And then we would talk and it'd be a pleasant conversation. And then it would be like, okay, that's cool. Like the no agenda. It seemed like there was no agenda. Yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just enough younger that I was like a 16 year old during the MySpace heyday. So I was a little yeah cautious about who I was chat. I feel like I had that sure. more on like message board chat rooms, but they were around shared interest in bands or um, genres. So that felt less <laughs> weird, even though maybe some of it was weird. I do kind of remember uh, reluctantly getting into MySpace because I think I felt a little like, I don't know, what's the what's the point of this? Yeah, I did book tours off MySpace. It was definitely good for like meeting. I think you'd asked earlier if I ever I am bands I was a fan of. Which no, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to do it. But I definitely met a lot of bands off MySpace and booked my old band's first few tours just from MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a period of time where bands didn't need to have a website. You, everything was on MySpace. Yeah. Speedy Ortiz <laughs> didn't even have a website till a few years ago. We had a live journal. Livejournal.com slash what? I think Speedy Ortiz. I think it's. I think it's speedyrts.livejournal.com. Isn't that how they format it? I can't remember. Livejournal's on my mind because I did get an email today saying it's my 19th anniversary on Livejournal. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've heard about this because I wasn't an active musician in the this time period, but MySpace tours. So you would you just message bands in towns that you wanted to go to? Basically, yeah. Um, or look at my friend's top five and click all the bands and see where they said they were and like listen to you know their three songs in their player like this is cool let me try and then you play some really weird uh bar <laughs> nice myspace tours and we'd stay with like uh on like couchsurfing.com the pre airbnb way to not get a motel I'm not familiar with crowdsurfing.com. Is that oh couchsurfing? Like, couchsurfing.com. Is it yeah. was it free or did you have to pay like it was free? People are just like, I love meeting new people. Come stay on my couch. Like hindsight, <laughs> quick way to get murdered, but um <laughs> I did not. <laughs> did it mostly turn out okay or did you ever end up with like total weirdos? Yeah, people were a little weird, but mostly like aw awkward. Never, never creepy or violent. Weird. Awkward though. Awkward's different than like than creepy. Yes. And I was not traveling, you know, as a band. So. Yeah, I can't imagine doing it by yourself. Yeah. Like not in a band situation for anyone, <laughs> but I know people did. On my book tour, there were a couple times I was by myself where I was like, "Oh, a friend of a friend of a friend wants to put me up." If this was a six people touring party, I'd be like. Hell yeah. This is just me. I <laughs> I don't think I can yeah, do this. This is a good way to get murdered. No, thank you. <laughs> I will stay at the hotel. Or just like talk dead until I'm too sleepy. Yeah, there's that too. A fate a fate as bad as death. No. Uh, so you've kind of you're kind of back into the uh pretty consistent tour schedule again, right? Um 
when <laughs> tell me when this podcast comes out <laughs> <laughs> a few months maybe okay so I, I think by the time this comes out we will have announced a new speedy ortiz album um and some touring for it but it won't be till the fall so i did a fair amount of book touring but it's such a different thing um speedy has done a lot of little one-offs like we played we played a bernie sanders aoc rally for a progressive mayor that philly failed to elect uh just a week ago um and then we played a comedy club's one-year anniversary in pittsburgh on friday so we, we you know a couple shows here and there but we're not really touring uh until the fall so i'll have to did you tell any jokes at the comedy club oh i was on i was i was doing riffs i was doing bits I would make best friends with all the comedians. It's like when you tour in the UK and suddenly you are speaking with a British accent. I was like, I'm at the comedy club. I am suddenly the funniest I've ever been. <laughs> it's that magic. That eight, what is it? The thing that ADHD, I have, I have ADHD, so I'm allowed to make this joke. Um, <laughs> I think we, I think uh, people pit match pitch. So, um, if you are a person with ADHD and you're hanging out with someone with a different accent or who speaks in a different like range of their voice mm. as you do, you tend to mirror them. Yeah. Um, so that was me, but for jokes. <laughs> you foster dogs or you've fostered dogs for a long time? Yes, I've had a few foster dogs and I've also foster failed twice. So I have two, two adopted dogs um, and I've had a few other fosters that went on to uh, other homes. A foster fail means that someone else adopted them? No, a foster fail means that you adopted the dog. Oh, oh, you failed to foster them out, so you kept them? If you succeed in fostering, you just hold on to them until a different... Uh, yeah, foster fail means you kept the dog. Ah. It's, oh, it's, it's okay. tongue-in-cheek. Right, yeah. I was reading somewhere that you were... Um, I think your mom or your mom was trained dogs and you're kind of you've been in, interested in training dogs for a long time um so my mom's boyfriend for my whole childhood was and is a dog trainer so when mm. when i was growing up there were 10 labs in his house and then he also would train dogs that he was like boarding so there could be like 15 to 20 dogs in the house at any given time um so i grew up around a lot of dogs and was always watching him train them and like uh, tagging along where I could. Um, and he still is a dog trainer. And I, um, he's in, uh, he's in Georgia these days. Uh, he moved um, from Long Island. Uh, and so he's, he put, he's got a very active Instagram and I like to watch his dog training videos. Do you have an opinion about uh training style? Mm. I've read a little bit about it. I have, I have a dog, and so this is of interest to me. I don't know enough to know the lingo other than the um, positive reinforcement and like redirection stuff. And yeah, um, yeah, that that's kind of the style that I am familiar with and use with my dogs. Positive reinforcement and redirection. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Yeah, generally speaking. Yeah, the the younger dog is um, lavender and. I feel like I've had to learn some different things because my older dog is a um, he's a pit bull boxer mix. Uh, they're very trainable. He's always been really well behaved. Um, Lavender, when we were just fostering her, we just thought she was a pit bull. She's kind of small. She's like 40 pounds, but um, she's also got 
she was found with pretty bad facial trauma. So she's missing a lot of her lip and nose. So she's smiling all the time. She's like very cute. Um, mm-hmm. she's, a, she's a beautiful dog. She gets got a lot of fans on walk going out for walks. <laughs> um, if she was on MySpace, she'd have a lot of uh, mutuals. Um, <laughs> but she has a couple weird behaviors. And so we did a dog DNA test and it came up Pitbull Border Collie. Mm. So um, I don't know how much you know about Border Collie behavior, but they do some bad. They're too smart. They're bad. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad she doesn't, she doesn't know what bad gal means because I call her bad gal all the time. Um, so she's trying to hurt everybody. So if we have people over, like we had a Hanukkah party. And it was, you know, 12 people sitting around the kitchen table. She was just running around the whole thing, like nipping at people's pant legs because she wants everyone to be on the couch with her. Um, And yeah, border collars are very vocal. When they see another dog, they do stuff that that is a sign of aggression in other dogs, but is not in border collies. So she like stalks Mm. them. Uh, So it's been a learning curve to be like, what, what are her weird... Uh, herding dog behaviors and uh, how do we keep these to a minimum so as not to freak out other dogs in the neighborhood (laughs) yeah my 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 last dog not my current dog my last dog was had three lakes oh she was uh, very popular too people love to root for a, a dog with some special needs yeah she was very cute too and then the three legs and then i think because you know she's so earnest and she's just determined to walk and people see that they're like oh my god i saw a really good um video of a cat with three legs yesterday uh and she's trying to swipe at another cat but with the um the phantom arm <laughs> and she's going so hard and the owner is like what are you doing you don't even you don't have an arm there like use the other one this is very sweet <laughs> This, your song um haunted painting would you say this is the the most ska song that you've ever released under sad 13 or speedy ortiz there's not what uh there's not there's not a song with that title oh <laughs> my goodness what what song am i thinking of then oh is it called oops oops okay it's probably oops i don't know is it is that the song that you would say is the most ska of all your songs? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, but my perception is always a little cooked, so I don't know. Uh, how's it go? What happens in it? Oh, Haunting Painting is the album it's on, so that's probably what I meant, yeah. It's got a little a little bit of the flick the flick up. But you know guitar. what I was trying for was, was, who I mentioned earlier, was Joan Armitrading. So I think if I was coming at a ska with that, it was through more like British new wave. Mm-hmm. So still just on the tail of, of the, uh, yeah. So yes, the most ska song of, of sad 13 or speedy, I guess <laughs> for now, for now. Yes. This is where we're going. Do you think there will be like a straight up ska song? Probably not for speedy, but that I feel like that could be something I do with sad 13, which is like where I, <laughs> don't have to worry about whether anybody else likes what i'm doing (laughs) just do what i want yeah um my band before speedy had a trombone instead of a bass Mm -hmm. that's ska indebted i I guess so the trombone played like what would be the bass lines yeah he played trombone through an octave pedal and a fuzz pedal 
So it sounded like not a trombone, but it had the, if you were to take a photo uh, and, and put it on MySpace, you might say, that looks like a ska band. Yeah. But then you would hear it and say, that sounds like a trombone through an octave pedal and distortion. <laughs> you hear it and be like, what? That sounds, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> what was that band called? It was called Quilty. Hmm. That's, you know. I still have the Google alert up for it. So I find out about a lot of like Irish folk ensembles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no talk about Quilty the band much out there in uh, online. No, I don't. It's yeah. Only the Irish folk bands. Yeah. What would this be your tease ska song? I, one thing. So, okay. Our bassist, uh, Audrey has gotten really into nightcore. <laughs> And she keeps um, sending me nightcore. Do you know what you know what nightcore is? Where the song is like sped up a certain amount. Yeah, yeah. So she keeps sending me nightcore versions of our songs, and once in a while I'm like, yeah, that could be. That's a little closer to a ska song than we've gotten. <laughs> so maybe I just need to speed up <laughs> this new record, and we'll be there. All right. Uh, then we found we found the path to ska through nightcore, which is not to say you know, I let, I sure do love me a lot of slow ska, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, if you slow us down, it that it's we're we're getting further from ska. Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Scott, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Scott Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Scott now more than ever. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.